Each year during Advent, the Pope will have a meeting at the Apostolic Palace with the members of the Roman Curia. These are the cardinals and bishops and others who comprise the Vatican's central bureaucracy. And the Pope will address them at some length, usually discussing aspects of where the church had been in the last year and where she intends to go in the coming one. But it's not usually a time for the Pope to discuss and ponder matters of deep theology. Yet in 1987, Pope John Paul II used his Advent address to the Curia to do just that. What the Pope addressed in his talk was a long-simmering difference or division in the Church, one that goes far deeper than the kinds of contemporary and often politically tinged issues that we are apt to think of when someone brings up differences and divisions within the Church. Instead, the Holy Father addressed the very basis of ecclesiology, which is the question of what the church is to begin with. Throughout the centuries, two models of the church had emerged, both of them grounded in the examples of the blessed apostles, Peter and Paul. The first of these is the Petrine model, after St. Peter. We recall the words of Jesus Christ by which he established the church, with Peter, the prince of the apostles, as her head. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Petrine model is grounded in the idea of the church's authority the church as a distinct societas, or society, having an earthly head in the Pope, who is the successor to St. Peter, and the other bishops, who are the successors to the apostles generally. The Petrine Church is visible to the world by virtue of the Pope and the ordained hierarchy of bishops, priests, and deacons. They have and maintain a special kind of institutional authority. This would probably be, I might add, the model that would tend to dominate the thinking of those who work in the Roman Curia. The second model derives from the example of St. Paul. Although Paul was duly counted as an apostle, he was, by his own admission, not born in a regular way to this office. Unlike the others, Paul was not called to apostleship during Jesus' earthly ministry. Indeed, Paul was a persecutor of the early church. Yet he was converted by an appearance of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. St. Paul took up the mission agentes, meaning the people. His legacy was not one of exercising institutional authority, but of converting people to the gospel. He had a tendency, once he had established a Christian community in a given place, to leave the pastoral care to others and to move on to fresh territory. The Pauline model of the church is grounded in the missionary spirit. The church is identified with the populus dei, the people of God, rather than in relation to the hierarchy. And because it's a missionary spirit, the profile of the church is never static. The very body that we call the people of God is always expanding, especially at the margins. Throughout the church's history, at times, one image of the church might have predominated over the other. During the early church, for example, or during the time when Europe was colonizing the New World, it would have been the Pauline or missionary model. During the High Middle Ages, 
or during the early 20th century under Popes Pius X or the 11th or the 12th, it would have been the Petrine or institutional model. Today, we can probably say that Pope Francis is more of a devotee of the Pauline model. Yet in his address, John Paul II did not choose to anoint either of these models as the genuine ecclesiological understanding of the church. Nor did he even say, as you might have expected I was going to say, that the proper model of the church exists in the tension produced by the interplay between the Petrine and the Pauline models. No, instead the Holy Father said that, in fact, it's the Blessed Virgin Mary who is the true figure of the church. She is the church's genuine model and profile and image. Because he explained the church is the extension of the mystery of the Incarnation. And Mary, as the mother of the incarnate incarnate word, is the one who is most closely united to Christ. Thus, she is the model disciple upon which the whole church has been built. We see this in the gospel reading when the Holy Family is visited by the shepherds. And the shepherds spoke to them concerning what the angels had said. And it says, And Mary kept all these things, reflecting on them in her heart. That short, beautiful phrase says everything about what the church is and who we are as Christians. The strength and the beauty of the church ultimately comes not from Peter nor from Paul. All of it instead is bound up in the interior receptivity that the Virgin Mary exemplified. We should imagine the church as we imagine Mary at the Nativity, adoring our Lord in the manger and welcoming the shepherds and the magi and the others to adore him as well. That interior receptivity to the Lord and that closeness to Christ is expressed in many ways in the church. We see the Marian dimension most especially in the inner life of the church, in prayer, in the sacraments, in the liturgy, in docility to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit. It's only by the Marian dimension that any other dimension of the church, whether Petrine or Pauline, can truly take shape. Because we have the image of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we have the fullness of what it means to be a Christian. It's why the church starts off the new year by the celebration of the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God and Mother of the Church. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.